Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. I'm Jim Boyle, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law, a commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live. Catherine Whittaker from Eurosport is here this week, not in person right now, because she's in Pyeongchang in Korea, freezing herself silly uh, in temperatures of minus 25, which explains why she put a water bottle down today and it froze into a block of ice in about 20 minutes time so i'm glad that i'm not there to be quite honest she's glad she is there uh presenting for eurosport all those uh bizarre weird and wonderful sports uh during the winter olympics so you can see her on eurosport if you'd like to do so but we do have a show with both Catherine and myself here with you today answering your questions as proposed by Jim Boyle, our guest editor. They're your questions. He's just chosen the very best ones. He's added a few of his own, and he was the man who uh, gave his lovely intro to this show. So thank you very much, Jim, for your uh, Kickstarter backing, as always. Hugely appreciated, and that's why we're able to bring this tennis podcast to you. Now, before we get on with our Q&A, we have had a lot of tennis over the last week uh, a lot of it to do with the Fed Cup. Of course, it was Davis Cup last week. We've had the Fed Cup this week. And we've had the return, sort of the return, of, of Serena Williams. She is on a tennis court in a professional match uh, for the first time in over a year. I mean, she played that exhibition, you may remember, in Abu Dhabi um, just last month before the Australian Open, but decided not to actually try to play the tournament itself. She has played in the Fed Cup today, albeit in the fourth rubber, uh, the doubles rubber, because they didn't play the actual fourth one, the singles, because the United States won so comfortably. They were 3-0 up uh, in their tie against the Netherlands at home, with uh, the work being done by Venus Williams, who won both of her singles rubbers, and she's now apparently won her 1,000th match of her career. So big congratulations to Venus Williams. That's an incredible feat in itself. Coco Vandeweghe as well. Very good win for her. Uh, pretty scratchy at times against Rickel uh, Hogenkamp, but she managed to get through it. Did Vandeweghe winning 10-8 in the second set tiebreak and to eventually help the United States to that three-love unassailable lead. And then, uh, yeah, Serena and Venus have played together in the doubles. So um, let's just have a quick look, see how they've got along. They were losing when I last looked. They lost the first set um, and eventually lost 6-2, 6-3, did uh, Serena and Venus Williams in the doubles. I mean, it's hardly a, a big deal, is it? It's a, it's a gentle loosener, really, to get Serena Williams back out on the tennis court, which is fantastic news in its own right, and, uh, and she is back. So elsewhere in... The world group of the Fed Cup, we had a victory for Germany in Belarus, uh, who'd got to the final last year. Uh, Alexandra Sasnovich, I understand, wasn't too well in her first uh, rubber of that match and lost, but good win for Germany, 3-2. Uh, the Czech Republic won 3-1 at home. They're always so strong there against uh, Switzerland, and they play against Germany in the semifinals now. France beat Belgium 3-2. Now, that one was as close as it sounds and uh, and went all the way. 
with Elise Mertens and uh, Kirsten Flipkins, the team for Belgium. I mean, that's a pretty formidable team. But Kiki Mladenovic, once again, starting to find some form, it seems. She managed to uh, help France through to the semi-finals. And France will now play against the United States, who beat Netherlands 3-0, as I mentioned. In the playoffs, now, I mean, classic Fed Cup this, isn't it? These were the playoffs to try to get to the playoffs for World Group 2. Understand that? No, neither do I, really. But uh, that that's apparently what happened. Anki Othavong took Great Britain uh, to Estonia, where they managed to win all three of their pool matches in the zone uh, to get through Johanna Conta and Heather Watson combining very well and uh, and winning through pretty comfortably in the end to the playoffs, which will take place in April, I believe the weekend of April 21st to the 22nd. The draw for that will be made um, on Tuesday, Britain hoping for a home tie for the first time since 1993. I remember them going away to Argentina a few years ago. They also had that, well, notorious infamous match in Romania last year when uh, Ilina Stasi lost the plot so spectacularly. Uh, so we'll see what the fates um, deliver on Tuesday for the Fed Cup playoffs for the World Group 2. And uh, yes, they'd still have some going to get into that group that I've just been describing uh, with the United States and France, etc. playing. But anyway, good news for Britain that they won and uh, let's hope uh, for their sake that they managed to get a, a home tie for once because it hasn't happened in such a long time. Now on the main tour, on the men's side, uh, in Montpellier, they've had the ATP 250 event. Luca Puy winning the singles, beating Richard Gasquet in the final. Uh, a doubles result of note for Great Britain fans because Ken and Neil Skupski have won their first ATP World Tour event. Uh, so well done to them. Uh, in Quito, Victor Estrella Burgos didn't win. That's never happened before in that particular tournament. He's won it the past two years. He lost out to uh, Meltzer, uh, the brother of Jürgen Meltzer, uh, in uh, in that tournament in Quito. That one eventually won by Roberto Cabellas Baena. I think that's how you say it. Uh, he defeated Albert Ramos Vinales in the final. And in Sofia, uh, Mirza Basic of Bosnia and Herzegovina, the cracking story of this one, he won through seven matches, including his qualifying. And he beat Stan Wawrinka in the semis. Nice to see Stan winning a couple of matches on his way to the semis. And then beat Marius Koppel in the final, did Basic. So title for him, the man from Bosnia. Uh, next week, it's Rotterdam. Uh, in fact, this this coming week, and they've just had a fantastic uh, bit of news because Roger Federer has taken a late wild card to go into that tournament. And if he makes the semis, he is going to become the oldest man ever to top the world rankings, Roger Federer. And it's a, a pretty decent route through uh, to the semis where he could end up facing Stan Wawrinka, but he actually only needs to reach the semis in order to do it. So we'll, we'll find out whether he can. Uh, in Doha... It's uh, it's an incredibly strong field. I think it's uh, the, the last direct acceptance was about 56 in the world. And uh, it's got the world number one, Caroline Wozniacki, Simona Halep, Karolina Pliskova, who I understand had, had a, a nasty stomach bug last week, uh, ruled around a Fed Cup, Garbinia Muguruza, Petra Kvitova, and Maria Sharapova. I mean, there's so many big names playing in Doha. It's going to be a fantastic week of tennis. That'll be on uh, BT Sport over the next uh, week. And also, an, a word on the uh, the New York Open, which is the first time they've ever held that ATP Tour event. I think they've taken that over from Memphis, I think it was. Um, and it's uh, it's going to be played on black courts, a little bit like uh, the Laver Cup, which uh, is certainly, a, you know, quite a quite a sight. You know, it's quite, quite a vivid... Uh, eye-catching sight, but I still think those courts look more grey than black. Maybe that's because of the lighting. But anyway, great to have tennis back in New York at another time of the year other than the US Open. So uh, that's going to be taking place. We'll give you a, a rundown of what goes on there in next week's show. But for now, I think we better get to these questions. Catherine Whitaker and myself got together at the end of the Australian Open and we sat down we took your questions on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we had a little chat for 40 minutes. Here it is. So then, let's start with Jim's question, shall we? Our special guest editor for the first time in 2018, Catherine Whitaker and myself, are here, ready to take your questions. First of all, Jim wants to know, 
Leon Smith has obviously been hugely successful as the Great Britain Davis Cup captain. If and when he hands on that baton, can you see him ever becoming a full-time player to a coach on the tour? What do you think? I think it's certainly within the realms of possibility. I don't. First of all, I don't see him handing on the baton anytime soon. He has a family, doesn't he? Don't yeah, he, he has, has young has kids. kids. He he definitely enjoys the on tour aspect of this job. I think he enjoys coming to 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 these slams and being in the players' box, boxes and and being really hands on about it. But that is different to actually being a travelling coach on tour, the week in week out grind. So whether that's even possible for him with his family commitments I don't know but I certainly think you know if an offer came in he'd be he'd be he'd be tempted by it I think knowing knowing him the way we do I think yeah I think he would have a lot of thinking to do Um, I've I've never spoke spoken to him about that aspect you know I know I've spent a lot of time with him commentated with him really enjoy his company find him very interesting I think he's got a really good view on the sport he obviously loves the sport and I do feel that there is a coach in there there is I mean that's what he he combines the role doesn't he he's not just a team selector at uh, at Davis Cup he he is an, a motivator and an organizer and and he does seem to have a really good at least from my standpoint tactical grasp of what's going on as well and I, and I I think he the he would love to do that probably one day is my guess but at the same time you're right. I mean, what a what an amazing job he has right now. Yeah, I he's not. He's got the best of both worlds right now, hasn't he? Because um, he gets to come to these events, be really hands on, and be a part of them. It's you know, it's not that it's not tough being away from your family for for two to three weeks, but it is not the same as uh, the week in week out grind. So I think he's gonna. Um, cling to what he's got uh, for for a good period of time. It's interesting. His brother is the coach of Ada McHugh, the 17-year-old um, uh, young Scottish player that reached the junior semi-finals um, in uh, the Australian Open. So I wonder if, you know, if that relationship continues and it's obviously going well just at, at the moment, you know, he's going to see his brother getting a taste of, uh, of tour life as a coach and, and maybe that will be his sort of, his, his brother can be his canary down the mine. <laughs> For him, not that he doesn't. You know, I mean, he's got relationships with plenty of coaches. He know he knows what it involves. But yeah, I mean, either he you'll look at your brother and go, "Oh goodness me, I'm rather him than me," or you'll go, mm-hmm. ah, "Do you know what? I'm a bit jealous of my brother." <laughs> well, one of these days, Jim, I'm going to ask Leon for you. Um, just very quickly before we move on to Jim's next question, you mentioned Aidan McHugh. Isn't it interesting how things evolve and? And there are times, I think, when we can look at the scene, and I'm sure this is the same in any country, where you can look at the, the, the production line behind the big stars and you can think, oh, there's, there's not much there, or there's a, you know, I'm not sure there are any good juniors, etc. You, you hear those sort of things from time to time. And then suddenly somebody develops at a different rate. It happened to Tim Henman. He was not a great junior at all. Suddenly, at 21 years of age, he's starting to mature and flourish and become a player. Kyle Edmund is that incremental improver I think he was a good junior but he's arguably looks like he might end up being a better senior player than he was a junior and 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 Aidan McHugh he's had this big result here and yet we've seen other players Martin Lee was a world number one junior I remember Miles Kassiri playing against Gail Monfils in the final of Wimbledon 2007 juniors you know it's it's oh, never the, a guarantee, is the it? The tennis world is littered with um, junior Grand Slam champions whose names we have completely forgotten and have sunk without trace. I mean, here you've got you've got Luke Saville here. A few years ago, he was he was the big deal. I think he won the same the juniors the same year that Ash Barty uh, won the juniors. I, th- I think, or uh, certainly they won junior Grand Slam titles in the same year. You know, yeah. they were. They were the level pegging and, you know, Ash Barty's been through her own ups and downs to, to get to where she is. At one point, it looked like she might um, think without trace and not be able to, to transition into to the juniors. But, I mean, yeah, where do you start with uh, <laughs> with junior grandson? I mean, it's a it's a poison chalice, isn't it? And uh, but then, of course, on the other on the flip side of that, you've got Roger Federer. Who oh, yeah. Is it? And, and there are there are many good coaches that I speak to who say you can tend to track 
that if a player is at such and such level at such and such age, if they've done this in juniors and then they post such and such results in a futures circuit, for instance, by a certain age, that you feel like that they are making that transition. I think of then someone like Stefan Koslov, who's still really talented and has posted a couple of results, but you know he was a prodigious junior, you know, and he, he hasn't grown very big. Well, yeah, you just don't, you don't. I mean, seventeen, you can, you can either be completely fully grown or you can have you know another foot left in you can't you I mean it's very di- <laughs> it's very difficult to know you know I, was only I remember six seeing Donald was... Young hitting with John McEnroe 2004 uh, US Open and he was 14 years old and uh, he was the big deal and he was you know he I think he was tall-ish for a 14 year old at the time and he didn't grow again after that and uh, you know it's not, it's not you just don't know and Donald Young actually is doing a a very good job of of uh, fighting through the difficulty of being this yeah. being this much lauded junior and you know it becoming incrementally evident that you're never going to be the big deal that you were once touted as, but you still can be you know a decent, good, very good pro and sort of reaching a piece with that and and making the best of what you got. So yeah, I mean, who? So who we got? We got uh, the Australian Open Junior Champions this year are uh, Corder, uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Corder, Corder yeah. and on the girls. Not sure. Well, last year it was now. of course um, Kostiuk, who uh, who qualified here uh, this year and uh, reached the third round, and lost to uh, Alina Svitolina, her countrywoman, I think. Still only fifteen years old, so long way to go. And of course, they have rules about. Um, the number of events you can play up until the age of 18, don't they, to sort of uh, prevent the um, the difficulties that can come along yeah. with having too much too soon. So, And Kostiuk was talking about that, actually, and explaining what she was and wasn't allowed to do, you know, going forth from here. I remember speaking to, very quickly, we will get on to your next question in a minute, Jim. We are a bit like this, you know, we go off in tangents, but there we are, that's the next podcast. Um, I remember speaking here, you set me up an interview many years ago with Martina Hingis between her retirements, <laughs> before she started becoming a doubles player, and uh, and it's a, it's still a uh, an interview you can find on the tennis podcast if you go back about three or four years from, from the Australian Open, and she was saying that she does not agree with that rule at all. She feels that you should be allowed to play. If you want to play, you should be allowed to play. Because in her, I mean, obviously she had her greatest success of all at uh, at the youngest of ages. You know, she was a Wimbledon champion at the age of sixteen, etc. Um, and she feels that you you are removing opportunities from young players. And you are, and I'm sure all all those youngsters in that position of being prevented from from playing when they desperately want to feel the same but you know a lot of rules are there because the the people making them no no you know the you the the individuals affected affected are not necessarily the the most the best place to judge the situation they have a a a particular slant on it and uh, you know the the rule is there to to save them from from themselves and there are so many cautionary tales aren't there Uh, just on the girls singles at the australian open it was liang and shuo from taipei who won the title and she beat in the final let me see if i can just find it was Somebody I can't C. Burel. Who's that? Let's see. Was she even seeded? She wasn't even seeded. How about that? So an unseeded player uh, in the in the girls' finals. So, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, to, to follow their progress, and uh, we will do so with interest. In five years' time, we'll be replaying that clip of you not knowing who C. <laughs> Burel was when she's lifting the senior title here. Do you remember the days when you didn't even know her first name or there, where she was from? There are a few like that. If you go back in time, <laughs> when you've... Like, remember when you first saw the name Shapovalov? I mean, what, um, what were we calling the bloke? <laughs> It wasn't that, I can we, tell we, you. We were calling him what a lot of people are still calling him now. True, true. <laughs> um, uh, you should have heard me try to say Daria Kasatkina for the first time. <laughs> it was not pretty. Uh, right, now, second question from Jim. Whilst there have been some cracking late-night matches at the Australian Open, is it time that some of the big tournaments reassessed late-night scheduling? Are matches that run, say, until 1am or 2am not completely unfair on players never mind fans officials and the media top players playing to empty stands does not look good for the sport yes it is yeah I I really think it is 
Look, night session tennis is my favourite type of tennis. It is the, it gives me goosebumps more than than any other occasion in in tennis. I my favourite slams are the ones that have night session matches. Um, but I found it really problematic and and uh, unpleasant to watch Caroline Wozniacki and Carla Suarez Navarro playing their quarterfinal yeah. at one o'clock in the morning. I know they ha- technically have this. Uh, midnight cutoff for starting a match, but I mean, come on, <laughs> um, starting a, a, a match of any magnitude really at that time, certainly with with nobody watching, and, and generally speaking, it does tend to be the women's matches that are that are started at that time, and and if that's happening, it's because you've had a long men's match, so a lot of the crowd already feel quite sated, so they do leave, and uh, I don't enjoy that. You know, one of my top five matches of the whole year. Um, Caroline Garcia against Alina Svitolina in mm. Beijing. That was played at about four o'clock in the morning with, I mean, I think there was only the cameraman watching or the, yeah. the cameraman, yeah. and that was completely unacceptable. I don't necessarily have this, the, the, the full answer because, you know, oh, tennis matches is how long is a piece of string. But yes, it needs to be looked at. Well, I'll tell you, certainly here at the Australian Open, I was perturbed by the number of times it was the women's matches that were the ones going on after midnight that seemed to be what was happening more um i can't remember too many the other way around um and the question is well the the flip side is what happens if you have like you had with with roger federer beating chung and there's a retirement and you have a set in a bit and then suddenly you've got no more tennis um i think there's a couple of things that can be done one is you certainly could have a showcase for doubles here as your second match. I, I, I see no issues with that at all. It's a great opportunity for them to get some some show court time um, and, and to, to give that feeling of nightcap. Now, you might say, well, why should they play to an empty stadium as well? I think that that is one option. Um, the other one to me, and this is the one that I probably favour, is if, the, you, if as long as you're going to have best of five set men's matches and best of three set women's matches, if that is going to stay as is, then I think really there should be either one five-set match or one men's match in the evening or there should be two women's matches. Yeah, I love it. Great. Sorted. Because, <laughs> you know, you're talking yeah. either five sets or you're talking, well, it's either minimum of three and minimum of four or maximum of five and maximum of six. Sorted. Yeah. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> I've, I've, I've got the affirmative from <laughs> Catherine Whitaker. I'm so pleased. I don't even need to re- run a pole vault on that. Um, but, I mean, if we look at the others very quickly, it's not so much of an issue at Wimbledon and the French Open from a late-night standpoint. It certainly is at the US Open. Um, and again, you know, you don't want to lose that element because it's so thrilling. And at the same time, I, I do feel the, um, the hot weather rule should be all about stopping play when it's a, a, certainly a lower temperature than it is right now, delaying it, and then using all the courts at your disposal from 6pm onwards, and you just got this magnificent nighttime feel. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine with there being a hot weather rule. We're, we're recording this uh, in the Eurosport green room, uh, which is uh, cooled to a, to a sweet, sweet 21 degrees. <laughs> Um, by a, a, a lovely air conditioning unit, but outside it's forty degrees and humid, and it's—I mean, it's—it's it's not okay to be doing any kind of activity in this. I don't care how fit you are. No. Um, so I'm absolutely fine with there being a hot weather rule, but the current one that we have is nonsensical in in the extreme, um, <laughs> and and pretty impossible to fathom. And and it's been made a mockery of so many times uh, this tournament that. I hope it is re-examined, but we all know how how slowly the wheels of change turn. So, mm. and maybe there are priorities for the powers that be beyond reforming the, the hot weather rule. But we are solving their problems for them, David. All they yeah. need to do is listen to this podcast That's right. and make it so. Well, they're already listening. It's, it's so. about doing what we say now. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, th- Jim's third question is: In a month where we have seen the good side, i.e., the Andy Murray Q and A, and the bad side. Tennis Sangren's dubious Twitter history of social media. What words of wisdom would you give to youngsters starting to break through in the game, like Katie Swan or Ada McHugh, about using social media? It's a very interesting one. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to play God on something like that because, uh, because I, 
I, I don't think there is one right and wrong to that. And I, and I feel that you want people to be able to express themselves and be who they are. But it's a balance. It really is a balance. Because we're, we're only now, we're just getting used to what social media is. There is no, there's, there's so little in, in the way of precedence here that, you know, we're just finding our way. And some of, some of what goes on out there is utterly abhorrent. And what players receive in their mentions, their inbox, their notifications after matches, I, I, I despair, really. It's, it's appalling. And, and it would, if I were the coach or the parent of one of these players, I would find it really hard not to tell them in those instances, get off that platform. Do not expose yourself to this stuff. Another part of me would want to go and fight who's ever saying this stuff or, or argue or get in the way. Same time, I, I like the directness of it all. I mean, Andy Murray's Instagram post, um, when, when he explained everything that had happened to him or was happening in his mind, etc., was, was just so refreshing and it was so interesting and it, was a, it shone a light on who he is. Um, what do you think? I think I'm the the worst possible person to be offering any kind of advice because I um, I'm on social media. I I y- use it um, uh, sporadically. I'll go I'll go through a day where I'll tweet ten times and then I won't tweet for 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 a week. And I, I don't why know is why, that? I don't know why I don't I don't have any particular policy on it. I just I don't know if I, if I'm in the mood um, then I'll go for it. And if not then it won't occur to me. But uh, I've I spent a lot of time being deeply upset <laughs> about the world of the internet, and it really, really gets to me. It, it does, um, and the thought of the thought of having to be young and growing up and and not knowing who you are really, and still sort of figuring out who you are, and having to deal with the sort of stuff that you get on the internet is terrifying. You know, I'm I'm a 31 year old woman pretty sure of myself and and what I believe in and and what's right and I still (laughs) feel in crisis about what I see on the internet um both sort of personal um and just generally general stupidity um I feel it most days so yeah the thought of being (laughs) the thought of being 17 or younger or even you know 25 and going through that is pretty terrifying really um so do you know my advice would be to any player would be the first thing would be do not go on your social media after a match straight afterwards do not because um you're going to be so emotionally wrapped up in what's just happened to you over the last few hours it's you're not going to be looking at it in the best way i think the other thing is to, to just get somebody to help you set the thing up in the first place that really understands it. Make sure the right filters are on. Do not allow this stuff to, to, to infiltrate your, your, your inbox, your notifications. There yeah. are ways around it. Yeah, that, block indiscriminately yeah. <laughs> would be one bit of advice. Um, second, probably, you, 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 this is a Matthew Whitaker quote, you can't defeat internet stupid. I mean, you can't defeat stupid. Full stop. There is always going to be stupid, no, and, I've tried, and it will always me. be freely expressed on the internet. You know, there is no more stupid than there once was. It's just people can express it with, with total impunity and uh, on the internet as well, and immediately and directly. So you can't defeat internet stupid. So getting drawn into it is a is a futile thing. The third thing, away from all the sort of dangers. Um, of social media is I would I, my advice would be don't have a corporate account if you're going to do it do it personally now I know every now and then there'll, there'll be sort of requests from sponsors to to tweet all sorts of things and the line gets drawn the 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 the, the, the line gets blurred between what's a personal tweet and what's a sort of semi-sponsored tweet and what's a I think if you're going to do it do it do it like Andy Murray does it. Be you. Be you. At the same um, time, though, you know, we've seen Andy Murray tweet one or two things in the past that have made life very difficult for him. And in the question here was Tennis Sangren. Now, admittedly, that's an extreme. But there are people out there that I've seen in the past, young junior players that have tweeted stuff that I've just thought, that's really stupid. And if ever you become famous, you do not want people seeing that. 
And that's where, again, I think just a little bit of guidance about the, the fact that, you know, it's not it's not just a free for all. You can't if you if you say stuff, you've got to be responsible for it. Yeah, I mean, when I was when I was 18, not, none of my thoughts about things were being indelibly placed on a, a platform forevermore for, for me to be judged on. So, exactly. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be the the, the voice of aging wisdom. Saying, no, but there is. There but is, yeah, I mean, there are. I mean, the tennis players do have access if they get to a certain level, particularly to to a guiding hand on this sort of stuff. The tours are yeah. Take the involved. advice, but be you. Yeah, there we are, Catherine and me agree. Uh, or just 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 tweet cute dog videos. Yeah, or you as Mary Carillo says, um, dogs being stupid dogs, or cats falling over. Yeah, you can't, I mean, how how badly wrong can it go with that? Yeah, well, even I'm on board with that. Uh, and Charlie the ferret stuff. Let's look at that. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, on Facebook, uh, Jim has selected half a dozen other questions from all the questions that have come in. Uh, We've got another show next week as well with more listener questions. If we haven't got to yours today... We might do next week. We might do another time. Uh, but we certainly, you know, we like answering questions and receiving them. So we'll, we'll do our very best to answer as many as we can. Uh, Kynim Truex on Facebook says, which of the breakthrough performers from the Australian Open will have the best year and which one had one shining moment and will fade away? That's interesting, isn't it? Well, let's uh, delineate a short list of breakthrough performers first. Well, Chung Hyun is is one of the most yeah. obvious. Carl I would Edmund, say. Elise Mertens. Yeah. Any others? And I've got faith in all of those. To yeah, be honest, me too. To have good years. I don't yeah. think any of them are just going to be a flash in the pan. You know, I mean, there are, there have been players in the past, haven't there, that have just had an incredible run for a couple of weeks, and then it you know it hasn't happened for them the rest of that year. Um, do you know, I was thinking back to 2006 when Bagdatis reached the final, and he ended up having a really good year. I mean, he reached the semi-finals of Wimbledon that yeah. year as well. But there are certain players that kind of that's it <laughs> that, that, that you don't really hear from them again. I mean, Malibu what, Washington. Whatever happened to Martin Verkirk? <laughs> I mean, I, I know he got badly injured. I think he did. Mariano um, Puerta. I think he served. He served, band, he's he? serving yeah. a massive ban, I believe. Right. Um, so he's probably not the best example. But well, I'm, well, I suppose probably he is. is a good example, depending <laughs> um, on how you look at it. Who, who else? Who else has had a decent run here and got? To, I mean, you know, th- those are the three that, that immediately spring to mind. 
And I can't see... I mean, Chung Hyun has just got... They've, they're, what all three of them have got is just such a solid baseline game. I don't mean baseline from the back of the court. I mean, their foundation is just really solid. I think they do a lot of things well. There's not that much to go wrong with their games, really. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, that they they all have improvements to make, I think. Uh, Kyle Edmund has improved his backhand enormously, but he can still improve it further. Um, Chung Hyun got a lot of criticism for his serve against Federer um, the other night, didn't he? The, the ball toss is is very high, and I think the margin for error on it is 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 something that that can be improved. But um, that seems quite achievable to me. I mean, of all yeah. the issues to have, sort of too high a ball toss and a couple of, you know, that's that's all stuff that that can be worked on. The problem is the when do you do it? <laughs> when yes. do you make technical changes to your, to your game? They're probably looking at having to wait a year now for yeah. that for that um, spectacularly long three week off season in which you've also got to shoehorn in a Maldives holiday. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I don't look. I'm not expecting uh, any of them to continue reaching to, to reach every Grand Slam semi final of the year, but I don't see any huge letdown well, uh, for any of them. I. I still feel like there are question marks over all three of them though as to whether any of them will ever make another Grand Slam semi ever? yeah I'm not convinced Chung you think Chung might, might never not. well that anyone might no, not I know, Roger Federer might no, not no but look there's some people that I would that I would confidently say well don't be ridiculous of course he will I don't think I'm quite in that camp yet about any of those three um, Chung, I'm probably the most confident about. Shall I tell you somebody who will not do what they've done this fortnight again, in my view? Go for it. Tennis Sangren. Oh, yes. I don't think we're going to see him in another quarterfinal of a Grand Slam. No. I think this is a one and only thing. I mean, you know, I don't want to say I feel sorry for him, but I feel a bit sorry for him only in as much as he's had this incredible run and nobody thinks about that element. They only think about what he's done. And what he said, and it's well. He's yeah, only see got, previous discussion. He's only yeah. got himself to blame, hasn't he, on that on that score? So, very good question, very interesting. Uh, at London Tennis on Twitter. Yeah, at London Tennis. London Tennis. Oh, well, I was going to say London Tennis. Who's that? Uh, well, sorry, London. Uh, why isn't there a grass court Masters One Thousand Premier Mandatory Event leading up to Wimbledon? Should there be one, and what effect could it have on the points, players, and scheduling? Haller would be my vote. Do you mind? I'm the Queen's media director. Uh, anyway, he, he would love to hear our thoughts on that. I, I think, personally, from my standpoint, the fact is that, uh, as things stand, there are two 500s, Queen's and Haller, both of them really good tournaments. I know I'm biased, but they are really good tournaments, long-standing, great facilities, etc. Strictly speaking, you don't need them to be any higher because they, they split the best players between them. I mean, I, I think status-wise, if you look at them versus other tournaments that are 1,000s, they certainly stack up, maybe not in stadium size. I, I think there is a question mark as over whether you could... Uh, you'd probably... I think you have to add more people in order to do it. But same time, they are... They're great events. I mean, Queen's was having a great field for years as a 250. So, I don't know. 500, I think... Although it certainly would warrant a 1,000 on one level, I think they're doing just fine, really. Yeah, I don't think it's so much about the events needing it. I, it's, I think it's more about it being a little bit silly that you've got this whole, in inverted commas, season on a tour that doesn't have a Masters um, or a Premier Mandatory event. Now, there are fewer Premier Mandatories. There are only four of them. So there's, there's less of a... Uh, it seems less of a gaping hole, I suppose, on the women's tour, although I, I still think the same argument... Uh, broadly applies it just feels like if you're going to call it a season it needs it probably should on paper have um, a masters 1000 event now you can't have two masters uh, 1000s or premier mandatories in the same week so it would have to be one or the other i too am biased so i of course would go with queens but that would then kill the other event yes um so it's not bottom line it is not going to happen because those are two really successful events no one's choosing between uh, one or the other and as you say the events don't need them so they won't be pushing for it and uh, I think the current Masters 1000 landscape is pretty settled but I do agree that it feels a bit silly that we have a season a whole season 
um, grass court season on the tour, uh, which features no n- n- a Grand Slam aside, no top-level events. We haven't got time to do it today, but one one podcast, we must do a... If we blew up the tennis calendar and started again, what would we do? Uh, conversation. That needs to be one for a future show. Um, so, we have here, chosen by Jim, at... Deb's Fireflies. What a what a handle that is. Uh, who says hi? Which of the slams is easiest, almost enjoyable to cover from your media perspective? Oh, that's very interesting. I mean, we're we've we've just spent the last couple of weeks at the Australian Open, which certainly in terms of uh, facilities and general ambiance, and obviously the weather and and the the proximity of the the tennis tournament to the city is really really they're pleasant working conditions um i actually would say something like indian wells if i go back 10 years ago the fact that they just allow you allowed you to eat in the same restaurant as the players and mingle with the players and it's not about wanting to rub shoulders with the players it's not that's not the point it's more just in terms of doing your job you didn't feel like you were walking into obstructions everywhere you went. You were you were trusted to do your job without bothering the players. And to me, that that's how it should be, ideally. You should be able to coexist, therefore you can give a, a better flavour of what's going on and just logistically more easily go about your business. Plus, they always invest in their facilities. So, you know, I've got a lot of time for what they do. Yeah, I mean, from a from a TV perspective, it's it's quite specific. I love this event that we're at now, Australian Open. Being in Australia in January <laughs> when it's so horrible at home um, is just glorious. The facilities um, are great. In many ways, it's brilliant. But from a TV access point of view, they are pretty obstructive here. You know, we uh, French Open and um, New York in particular. I'm doing reports all the time from the photographer's pit on 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 Philippe Chatrier and on Arthur Ashe Stadium, and or from from up the top top on Arthur Ashe looking down on the court, and and I think that adds something incredible. You know, when you do a flash interview after the match, you're doing it on the court with the crowd in the background. Yeah. You get the that's the whole point of a flash interview that you get that emotional reaction. Take them into a corridor outside with a, a pretty impersonal uh, backdrop and weird acoustics, and all of that atmosphere pretty much drains away instantly and the whole point of the thing is is a bit gone really um i don't look i think that's uh, i won't go on a rant but i think that's quite a lot to do with australia as a country you know they are quite bureaucratic here and they like their rules and some people would call it you know a nanny state you do get told off a bit here i do feel a bit like a a naughty schoolgirl here more than at the other Sam's. No, you can't go there. No, you're sitting in the wrong seats. No, you can't take a beer up to John McEnroe in the commentary box. Um, that and, one definitely stings. <laughs> and uh, we, we're the yeah, ones who get told it, off. It, it, it can be a bit of a headache a lot of the time, but equally, it's a wonderful slam to cover. It, it, the wonderful things about it, but just from a purely working point of view, those headaches do just put a little bit of a blot on the copybook, which. You know, New York, you have to get a, an hour-long bus there and back every day, yeah, which, you know, is, staying in Manhattan is great. And, you you know, generally speaking, you wouldn't really want to stay in Flushing over over Manhattan. Um, there's, there's a lot less going on. If you're going to New York, you want to be in, you know, the New York that you see on the telly and in the films. But it <laughs> does mean an hour-long bus there and back every day. And sometimes that is the absolute last... For me, that is just two hours that I could be asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's inevitably how I look at it, and that just makes me want to cry sometimes. But equally, then, you'll you'll, uh, you'll look out the window on the bus on the way home and you'll see the Empire State Building and and illuminated Manhattan coming into view, and you just feel like, oh, oh, this is pretty great, isn't it? It is pretty great. Uh, So, you know, look, they're all great. Obviously, Wimbledon's great i i love night sessions so and here, i love great and- commentary positions i wimbledon where we're court level and uh australian open where we're foot level uh which is incredible um whereas in the us open you're you are literally in the back row of a twenty three thousand seat stadium and it is yeah you don't get quite as much to 
to sink your teeth into in that regard. Uh, Charlie's mum has been in touch, uh, Charlie the Ferret's mum, and says, do you think players who were a few years back uh, and thought of as the next generation like Raonic and Nishikori have missed their chance of a big breakthrough? I mean, I think they've already made a breakthrough, haven't they? Because they've reached Grand Slam finals. I assume she means Grand Slam breakthrough. I mean, put it this way. Do we think we've seen the best of them already? Possibly. I mean, Nishikori is so injury prone. It's it's becoming difficult, even though he's only, what, 26? It is becoming difficult to envisage him reaching Grand Slam finals um, again, certainly with any regularity getting to, to latter stages of slams. Raonic... I don't know, he lost first round here, didn't he? I know he's had injury difficulties. That's but the bigger issue for me with him, is whether his body can handle this anymore. Well, maybe anymore is an exaggeration, but being that tall and that heavy-footed, really, it's it's a question mark as to whether that body can cope, I would have thought. Yeah, so same question marks over both of them. I don't know, I'm I'm not writing them off, but I certainly, if we're talking about predicting things with confidence... I don't feel any confidence in those two reach winning slams or reaching slam finals. On Instagram, Stu, triple three, triple three, says, can you tell us the most awkward, difficult player interview, past or present, that you've ever had? Well, there's been one or two <laughs> <laughs> over the course of time. Do you want me to start? Go on. Well, well, I've had a couple of quite difficult interviews with Caroline Wozniacki this tournament. Um I've seen her do wonderful interviews this tournament, but none of them were with me. <laughs> um, she, what were we saying? She, yeah, maybe she just doesn't like me. That is genuinely um, possible. She is somebody that can... She can flick a switch, can't she? She can really turn it on, and she can be charming and interesting. And, you know, Mary Carrillo the other night, um, when we had her on the pod, she was talking about how um, blown, blown over she was by how candid how candidly she talked about how the defeat here in the semis in 2011 hurt her and she's absolutely right she she has the potential to be a great interviewee but then she can turn it off just as quickly and you see her glaze over and you see her, and then you just know all you're going to get is trotting out of uh, of pretty um inane unilluminating stuff she's not the only one to do it you know tennis players they have to do a lot of media commitments especially if you're world number one on number two and the temptation I guess to go on to autopilot is um, is always there but I did one flash interview with her in fact it was after her victory over Jana Fett in the second round you know where I thought wow she's going to be so this is going to be great it's going to be emotional it's going to be you know we're, oh, we're going to share something really special here and I had so many messages afterwards saying that was hilarious I loved how much more excited you were about her victory than she was <laughs> And, and actually, that's the sort of message, really, that if you're a tour communications person or an agent, I think you want to be watching that sort of thing and, and letting your your clients, your athletes, your your player know that this is how they're coming across. They need to be shown these interviews. But I think in some instances they know and they don't care. You know, they think the power balance is you need me more than I need you. I think with young players that, that applies. Um, but I... I, I don't think it's always the case that they don't know. I think sometimes they don't care. I don't know with Caroline Wozniacki. She seems pretty media savvy to me. Yeah. I mean, with some players, I think you can sometimes just be having a bad day and not be very good at putting a face on it. I mean, not everybody is... But then then those can be great interviews because the the guard goes down. It's, you know, even if they're grumpy, it's, it's a glimpse into the... The real person. Isn't well, I, it? I, I had some corkers in the early days with Marcelo Rios <laughs> and with Yevgeny Kafelnikov. Um, Yevgeny Kafelnikov, who in post career has suddenly become Mr. Charming, and, and who, are, you know, it's, it's quite funny how that often happens. But he um, certainly gave me an interview once, which I told him afterwards was utterly unusable. And, um, you know, you could either do it again or I'll put that out and we'll see how you come across. Um, more recently, I interviewed Lucas Russell at the US Open a couple of years ago, and he'd, he'd drawn Andy Murray in the first round, and the, the obvious question to, to reflect upon was their previous spat on court. And it was a lovely interview, going ever so nicely, and there's a little audience behind me all watching it, and all the other journals were getting the quotes. And then I decided, right, it's time to put this question in. Um, this happened. Are you on speaking terms these days? Uh, how do you view Andy Murray now? And his face changed in a second. 
and he Which stared, doesn't really work for radio. He stared me down, and we are similar heights. I mean, I'm quite glad I'm the same height as him, but he looked through the back of my head, and and I thought he's re- he's actually really trying to intimidate me the way he's answering this question. And and he basically said, you know, have you got another question? I said, don't you like that question? He said, no, I want another question. And I said, well that's the question I want an answer to because that's the relevant one um, and we, we had a stand eventually he kind of gave an standing answer standing up to the law but um, it, was, it was an interesting process of seeing somebody actually in my view at least trying to put pressure on me to, to get lost basically um, which, was, which was interesting <laughs> so yes that's, uh, that's my experience um, there are many more we will have another questions based show next week I like these, David. They're they're good, aren't they? We will do it again. So, thank you all for listening. Thanks to Jim Boyle, our guest editor for this week. We'll have Grace Onions in the guest editor chair next week because we have another show with Catherine and myself answering your questions. We have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We're sponsored by the La Manga Club, the Spanish holiday destination which does so many wonderful sports like tennis, football and golf. And we'll be bringing you a competition from La Manga Club very soon in which you can win a mini tennis break at La Manga. How cool is that? So that's coming your way very soon. Uh, We are executive produced by Triple S, by Melanie Bowes, our predictions champion, and by TennisBalls.com. And, of course, our mascot is Charlie the Ferret. We'll be back next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 